This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to the first Fed Talk of the new year. Today is Friday, January 15th, 2021, and I'm James Heelan from Shaw, Bransford and Roth. Public-private partnerships have been a hot topic in the federal space now for decades. Today, we are talking about the most successful partnership, the ongoing relationship between the National Science Foundation and the research conducted by Dr. Andrea Ghez, who in December 2020 received a Nobel Prize in Physics for her work. Dr. Ghez is the Lauren B. Leichtman and Arthur E. Levine Professor of Astrophysics at the University of California, Los Angeles. She has spent her career studying the center of the Milky Way, and she received a Nobel Prize for her work confirming that a supermassive compact object, also known as a black hole, lies at its center. Welcome to Fed Talk, Andrea. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Also joining us from the National Science Foundation is Dr. Glenn Langston. Dr. Langston is an astrochemist and currently the Galactic Astronomy Program Director at NSF. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks. Thanks, James. Today's show will start with an overview of government funding for research projects. Next, we will dive into the Nobel Prize winning research conducted by Dr. Gez before discussing the NSF process for cultivating top-tier research and how to carry the momentum forward. Before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that FedTalk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program, known as FLTCIP. The FLTCIP is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company, under a group long-term care insurance policy, and administered by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC, doing business as FedPoint. To learn more, visit them at www.ltcfeds.com today. Well, Glenn, Andrea, thanks again for being here. Uh, really excited about our show today. Before we talk substance, can you give a little more description about yourselves for the listening audience? Glenn, can we begin with you? Uh, yes, yeah, so, well, I can, <laughs> I, I'm a program officer at the NSF in the astronomy division, you know, there's, um, and I primarily, as you've already said, I primarily work on uh, on reviewing, running reviews of proposals uh, having to do with Milky Way. Um, before that, I, I worked on quite a, well, I consider a lot of different projects um, from uh, sort of gravitational lenses um, in, the, in the distant universe um, and uh, to astrochemistry in Milky Way. Um, I've actually worked uh, with a, two, well, with the Japanese and the Russian Space Agency uh, doing uh, different uh, aspects of really spacecraft communications and very long baseline interferometry. Um, I uh, forgotten, actually, I, I, I didn't think of too many, but I was Boy Scout leader for a long time. <laughs> I have uh, uh, two sons who are Eagle Scouts. And I, um, I actually sometimes give the message at the local Presbyterian church because we're between pastors. So those are just different aspects of life. Well, we're really glad to have you. And Andrea, thank you for communicating with us this this day um, from the West Coast. I know it's early where you are. Um, could you give an introduction of yourself to our audience who may not be familiar with you? Sure. Um, as you said, I'm a professor at UCLA. I've been here for the last uh, 26 years. And when I first got to UCLA, um, I formed a research program um, and group, so called the UCLA Galactic Center Group. Um, which has really formed the heart of the, my research program. Um, I've been really fortunate to receive NSF funding ever since I first started my job at UCLA. So I was first funded by the NSF Young Investigator, it was called the NSF Presidential Young Investigator Award at the time. Um, and since then, I've been really, really fortunate to receive um, as principal investigator, um, I think I was counting it, roughly eight um, grants that last three to five years. And I've had the fortune, good fortune to interact with Glenn, I think over the last three proposals that I've submitted. Um, 
So I guess I like Glenn. I'm uh, I'm a, to add a little more. I'm an avid swimmer today. I have two sons, and between all of those things, that keeps me uh, research, being a mom, and keeping myself sane. Uh, it keeps me plenty busy. Well, it sounds like you haven't had a lot of downtime during the pandemic. So glad to hear keeping active, both of you. Glenn, I'd like to talk about NSF. For those in the listening audience who aren't as familiar with uh, the work of the foundation, what is the agency? What's its purpose? Well, yeah, so it, we think, of course, that the NSF has a really critical purpose for the U.S., uh, you know, the community. Um, it's it actually is a federal agency that uh, I think you already mentioned is a, a eight uh, point something billion dollar uh, annual budget. And that's divided amongst uh, 25 divisions where we've sort of divided the science up into realms. Astronomy is one, of course, we think that it's the most fascinating in our division, which has 25 employees that manages somewhere between uh, 250 and 300 million a year in Astronomy related research is, is what we're focused on, of course, there. Um, but we, we're a part of the Math and Physical Sciences uh, uh, Directorate, which is um, it's math and it's chemistry and uh, physics and astronomy and material science are the, the five aspects of, the, of our area. Um, it's, it's a big organization, but a very friendly organization, I'd have to say. It's a nice, it's a, a nice group of 25 people I work with are, you know, very busy with. Uh, trying to run reviews right now is our peak season of reviewing uh, proposals, which are where we get um, the brilliant ideas. I guess I should step back and remind you that the NSF is really responds, tries to respond directly to the community. We actually, the NSF has focus areas like astronomy, but we actually get, we essentially have one gigantic, for us gigantic award pool. It's, it's, um, where basically any topic in astronomy can be proposed to be researched by, not by the NSF, but by uh, like investigators like Andrea and essentially anyone who, anyone in the US can uh, apply for funding. It turns out the NSF actually makes awards to universities and research organizations. You have to have some association with a university or college or actually school or nonprofit or a museum um, and, uh, the NSF will, will, will look at your ideas. Well, we'll actually, we'll look at the ideas to make sure they're acceptable, but then we rank, the NSF itself does not rank the proposals, but rather we get the community to do that. So they, they do the ranking. You know, as I'm sure many people listening know, the federal government performs lots of, of research, you know, through its employees. So, why does NSF fund non-federal institutions to do science outside of the federal sphere? Yeah. Um, I, well, it really was right at the beginning. There, there's a guy who really was an advisor to the president, Vladimir Bush, uh, wrote a paper describing that it's critical to not squash brilliant new ideas, and they tend to come from unknowns. Like there was this patent lawyer in, uh, in that worked in Germany and Holland uh, who had would have never gotten in any research if, if he wasn't allowed to, you know? And then it turns out Einstein um, made all these great discoveries and then he moved off to universities that so would have then been eligible for NSF funding. So it's it's the unknown, we're looking for those unknown great researchers, right? And, and then we've, we've been following up on that. I mean, Andrea was, was a leader in that and doing that. Um, the NSF also has goal of making, of, of selecting and fostering the uh, great research. We actually, um, our phrase is where discoveries begin, but then if funding runs out, uh, we have to point out, we didn't say that's where discoveries end. We, we sort of, that's, uh, but unfortunately it's, we, we try to be like to let those discoveries uh, foster. We also do education and outreach. I, I will note to actually today, um, later on today, I'm giving a presentation at the American Astronomical Society meeting and all virtual like this. And in fact, strangely enough, I'll be working with a high school, uh, Wildwood, which is three miles from UCLA where Andrea is. And they're actually going to, we, I'm a radio astronomer, uh, which is using radio waves to discover things about the universe. And one of, they've built a telescope uh, like the one that my, my colleagues have, and they're gonna be observing 
in real time, these telescopes are up. So they'll be observing in their backyard today because they're not allowed to have students at the school. But, um, it's, uh, but it happens to be, it's a kind of a funny little uh, quirk that, you know, you know, I'm in West Virginia. I, I'm actually adjacent to the Green Bank Observatory, which is where I used to work uh, before I worked in the uh, National Science Foundation in Alexandria because we're all teleworking. Um, but it's a nationwide network of about uh, 20 high school teachers um, that are doing this project for the benefit of the students. And they're a great bunch, uh, very dedicated to their education. Thanks so much for telling us about NSF and about yourself. We have to stop here for our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. When we come back, we'll discuss the award-winning research by Dr. Gez. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are here with Nobel Laureate Dr. Andrea Gez and NSF Galactic Astronomy Program Director, Dr. Glenn Langston. Andrea, let's talk about your research. I understand you spent your career focusing on the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. Why have you been, been so focused uh, on our own galaxy and not elsewhere? Well, the center of our own galaxy is a fascinating, exciting, and very dynamic place. Um, and the question that drew me there was the question of, is there a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy? And by asking that question, inherent in it is the question of, do these exotic objects exist? And alongside with a scientific interest in black holes, I've also been interested in developing new ways of using really big telescopes to get the sharpest images ever. And this approach has enabled us to come up with the best evidence to date that the um, supermassive black holes exist. And we've done this by um, getting very sharp images of the stars at the heart of our galaxy. And over a long period of time, um, measuring how these stars move. And, in part, and at the end of the day, we've been able to measure their orbits and improve um, the, existent, the, the demonstration of black holes, supermassive black holes, by a factor of 10 million. So we've moved the idea of supermassive black holes from a possibility to a certainty. It's really rare in science that you can make an improvement of our, the case for something by a factor of 10 million. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a really exciting journey. And um, what's been um, equally exciting, in, uh, in addition to being able to answer the question that we set out to answer, was that the technology has evolved so fast and so rapidly that we've uncovered, uh, we've been able to uncover an environment around the supermassive black hole that um, is very, very different from what we expected and has opened up many new arenas um, uh, of astronomical questions. Um, so uh, I'd say today we view the center of the galaxy as a wonderful laboratory for understanding both the physics and astrophysics of supermassive black holes. And I understand that when you began looking inward to uh, Sagittarius A star, that object at the center of the galaxy, you were expecting to find um, you know, movement, but what you ultimately identified was in fact complete orbits. I think your favorite star is S02, is that right? Yes, my favorite star in the, in the universe is S02. It probably needs a better, day, a better name. Um, and it goes around the center of the galaxy every 16 years. And maybe to put this project in context, it's useful um, to recognize that in fact, when we uh, first applied for telescope time, so in fact, as um, the head of the group, one needs to apply for two kinds of resources. You, I need telescope time and I also need funding. So um, proposal writing is a big part of my job. But when this project was um, first proposed to the telescope group the at Keck Observatory, it was actually turned down because people didn't believe that the technique would work. And even if it did, that we wouldn't see stars. And even if we did, that we wouldn't see the move. And the initial project was a three-year project. 
where we were just trying to see them move on the plane of the sky. So straight lines. We didn't even have orbits in mind at this at this point. So it's it's I think it's useful to understand that 25 years ago, even this three-year concept was con um, viewed as radical. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that, in fact, we, we actually had NSF funding for this before we actually had the telescope time. That first grant, the first grant I had for, for NSF funding was, uh, had two different projects, but it allowed me um, to get going on this just incredible journey of um, discovery. So to come back to the, the, the point that you've made, that we've gone from motions to orbits, it was only after um, roughly five years that we could see the stars start to deviate from straight lines. And that was an incredible moment um, because that was the point where we realized that orbits were possible and that orbits would open up um, whole new categories of questions once we could get there. I mean, not only would it be a much more um, powerful test for the existence of supermassive black holes. So the first three years of just velocities would get you an improvement in a factor of a thousand already. That's that's pretty good, a factor of a thousand. Um, but the orbits were just a whole new ball game and could get us into new questions, not only about the existence of a supermassive black hole, but understanding how gravity works near these objects that actually represent a breakdown in our understanding of how gravity um, works. That's one of the things that make black holes so intriguing uh, to, um, to those of us who's, who study them and, and I think into, uh, for the general public. So you went from you know, community skepticism, the viability or practicality of your work to the highest levels of acknowledged success in the world of science. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, You've been receiving NSF funding this whole time. Can you talk to us about your growing relationship with NSF from the beginning of, of your research, that seed money, to the process and, and going from NSF to receiving multiple sources of funding to where you are today? Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be able to speak about this because the funding from the National Science Foundation has been um, the re you know, the primary source of funding for um, this research. It's, I, I often think of it as the backbone, the thing that in fact has enabled this project to both get off the ground. Um, so I started off with um, applying to, through a program that was designed to help young faculty get funded. This, this is a program that recognizes that, you know, at the NSF award rates are really are really low, so that, that it's important to designate a program um, that's targeting young faculty to help them get into the system. And the thing that I, I think is most important about this is that it encourages young faculty to think um, outside the box. You know, not to be to to take risks and to try things that are different. Um, and that was for me, incredibly important because this project represented a little bit of a left turn in my research program. I'd been studying how young stars form and under what conditions they might form planets or not. And so this um, getting into the black hole was understanding that the techniques that I was using were would be very powerful. And we were just at a moment where the technology was opening up this arena. But as you can see, it was risky. I mean, the first proposal was turned down. So um, the NSF, that program really enabled me to keep going. I mean, you have to really have confidence that, um, that the question that you've asked is a good one and to persist, right? To say, okay, I just have to convince you guys that I know what I'm talking about. So, you know, what does that take? It takes going on talking tours um, and talking to people and convincing your colleagues that this is a good idea. Um, this then these per, the typical NSF um, grant is three years. Actually, the the framework is three to five years. Um, so after the first three years, you know, we were just getting going, and it was clear at the end that this would be interesting. So then we hopped into the normal grant program um, through the astronomy division at the National Science Foundation. And we were fortunate enough to, to start with um, a grant through the NSF Presidential Young Investigator Award, which was the program designed to help young faculty um, get going with funding from the National Science Foundation. After the first uh, three years of that grant, I went into the usual grants program and I was fortunate to get another seven um, grants, each of which ranged from three to five years. Yeah, I mean, the, the NSF, um, I think actually 
probably felt that there was a chance that Andrea's initial project was impossible, but but, poss but possible, uh, but difficult is still acceptable for the NSF. And the key thing is when we make an award for the investigators to show progress. And you know, it was initially slow progress, but then it just it sort of you know snowballed. Really, I would have to say uh, that uh, she more and more observations. You know, it was clear that the community just wanted to see the next motions of these stars and what was going to happen. So that's that's what caused the NSF to keep supporting Andrea's research efforts. And Andrea, I understand as your research progressed, uh, you eventually began seeking and receiving funding from other sources, is that right? Yes, um, at the time, at, as this program um, expanded, the scientific richness of what could be done with this data set, um, it meant that more and more science programs were being spawned. Um, and so in some sense, we outgrew um, the individual grants uh, program because there were so many people um, associated with this. Um, and we were also starting to do technical work that was in support of Keck, Keck Observatory. So at this point, we started to seek supplementary funding from private foundations to do um, the things that were blooming off in some sense from this primary um, um, goal. And, and that, that's worked uh, very well um, over the last, I would say the last, uh, within the last decade. Um, sort of the, allowing this partnership um, to, to enable the growth of the program. Um, and it's, it, it's an interesting challenge to make sure that everybody understands, and it's critical that everybody understands what piece of the program is being funded by whom. But it's really the NSF that funds the, the backbone because they were at the outset and we explained to the other organizations that there's some piece that isn't currently being funded by the National Science Foundation. Yeah, the NSF specifically encourages program officers to help with these public-private partnerships. So that we've had meetings where they try to tell us, uh, uh, we don't run into very many billionaires, at least in my part of the, uh, the, the community, but, but we, we are given to, to say that we should seek, uh, seek to help investigators uh, get support. It's a little bit of a peculiarity that the NSF keeps the existence of proposals secret if they're not funded. So we can't actually uh, tell a, a, another organization, like a, the foundation, the other private foundations, even about the proposal because it's secret. Um, so that we, but we actually sort of, we, we are told to make it aware uh, to the investigators who rejected that we would support uh, them if they contacted these foundations saying that we can say that, you know, that there was a proposal that ranked well if we're sort of if we're given an introduction um, to help with that it's a little complicated but anyway we certainly can't reveal any proposals that uh, we're not requested to just talk about but we do encourage it in fact it's it's it turns out that these these fantastic projects do become more expensive than the nsf's budget can afford and that's why we are so happy to work with these great foundations who do important contributions to science it sounds like everyone acknowledges that at some point research reaches a size and a scope that requires additional funding. Andre, could you talk about whether or how that, that complicates the relationship with NSF or how that's played out in your experience? James, um, you know, it was one of those bumps along the road for me. Um, and uh, uh, I have to say, you know, my favorite expression is every challenge is an opportunity. And this was definitely an interesting challenge. So as I, um, moved away from being solely supported by the National Science Foundation um, and develop these partnerships where each partner was asking, what are we doing that the NSF is not? So I, I had gotten good at that part, but then when I went to submit my next NSF proposal, I just used my same strategy that I'd always been using but I didn't do the exercise of explaining to the NSF very well enough how the partnerships um, were coming in. So it, um, that proposal um, was turned down with, and I remember this conversation with Glenn, you know, it's one of those um, um, hard, but you know, important conversations to have. Like, what did you do wrong? 
We have to stop here for our second break, but we'll continue our discussion about these bumps along the road and how the partnership ironed it out after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show with Nobel laureate Dr. Andrea Gez and National Science Foundation Galactic Astronomy Program Director, Dr. Glenn Langston. When we left for the break, Andrea, you were talking about some bumps in the road in the application and grant process. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So I I had an interesting bump along the road when we uh, submitted a proposal uh, and it didn't get and it it didn't get funded. I mean, this is a a, a, very common experience. Um, And it was an important moment um, for me because I the group was changing and the relationship with funders was changing. And so I had a very important conversation with Glenn to get feedback and to really understand what hadn't worked about the proposal that was submitted. And I'm very, I'm really grateful um, to, uh, for that conversation because you, know, you, you always do better when you get a deeper understanding of how others um, come and view um, what, what you've proposed. So it happens even to the most successful researchers. I understand that about 20% of applications to NSF get funded. And Andrea, you've submitted nine and received eight. It's pretty outstanding. Glenn, can you is, talk about the, the feedback that NSF gives when they deny a grant application? Yeah. Well, the, the, the NSF program officers are very open to conversations with investigators. And, cer- and certainly, um, we are happy to talk to every single, we, we get hundreds of proposals every year. But we, and there's, uh, and we, after the, the investigators' proposals are, are ranked, and then the recommendation is made to fund or not to fund, it's called decline, um, we, the, the investigator is given uh, the written reviews, three written reviews. Every The NSF goal is to provide three written reviews for every proposal written, which is actually a very time-consuming and work uh, intensive work process for the astronomical community. Um, but then there's always, there's good news and then but there's one set of good news and then four other sets of bad news. And the investigators, this, this is their life work, and it's really important to them. And the proposals we get, it's already pre-selected to be really good ideas because they're coming from college professors with lots of experience. And so it's always a tough one to, to say that, you know, just it didn't happen to rank at the top of where in the high enough ranking that our funding didn't run out before we got to them. We would like, the NSF program is every astronomer uh, division program that would like to fund essentially all all proposals we receive, but the budget doesn't support that. So we, we just have to then say we put strategies on what would allow the, we'll talk about the process later, but it's basically strategies we have to give hints that allow that proposal to be successful the next time around. I have to say, we're so grateful uh, for this process. On the one hand, um, writing proposals every three years is, um, is is time consuming and um, maybe you would say a headache, but in fact, it's a it's a really important um, point in a long term project to check in about what the articulation of your current goals and to realign with your really the most important scientific opportunities. Um, and, you know, and so I, I, I as a as a scientist, I I'm very grateful for the for the process um, that the NSF has set up uh, for articulating um, what our intentions are. Andrea, how does that 
compare NSF to other funders when they um, decline an application? Oh, well, in my experience, um, the non-federal funders are so different. And in fact, they're so different from each other um, that in fact, one of the challenges of all these partnerships is the time and effort that has to go into understanding um, how foundations work um, compared to the federal government. The federal government, you know, it's set up, there's money, they give it out. <laughs> it's a process, it's really, it's really clear. Um, private money, it's much more um, at the discretion, it has much more nuance, each foundation is different. Um, so understanding how to fit all the puzzle pieces together is an interesting challenge in itself. But I, I often find that um, interacting with all these um, different places forces you to articulate as well as possible what you're trying to do. You know, you have to keep in, you have to keep in, in sight the scientific question. You don't want to distort yourself to get the funding. The goal is not, well, I mean, the, the, the fundamental goal isn't to get funding. The fundamental goal is to get your science done and to have a good science question. Because I think if you have a compelling question and a compelling need, um, there, there is a good match out there in terms of um, uh, finding the, the, a, a good funder, a good partner. Glenn, I'd like to talk about the process. I understand going off what Andrea said about, you know, the objective being to answer the research question. Um, approximately 248 Nobel laureates have been publicly supported through NSF grants and often from other federal agencies at some point in their careers. Andrea being one who's received funding throughout her entire career. How does NSF identify such promising work to receive funding and what is its process for choosing what to fund? Well, the, the NSF, I guess, really is, is motivated by uh, Nobel Prize winners like Andrea. So that's that's the real goal. But but we're funded because the federal government um, considers basic research an investment that pays off very well. And, you know, we 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 consider Nobel Prize in, in a, winning in astronomy, just a, as a, in astronomy division, the highest goal. So that's it's great to be working with Andrea. But the process is bottom up in the sense that scientists like Andrea come up with new ideas. And we get thousands of new ideas a, a year submitted to the NSF. And But it's a top-down funding. The NSF funding is judged by the Congress and the president. And we're given a number to do to use to spend to encourage that to make that investment, and we uh, uh, get these proposals come into the NSF in, in the different areas, and, and they're all important areas. But we, uh, I love astronomy, so that's what we we uh, love to to work on, and so we get hundreds of proposals, and we then ask the astronomical community, the people, the basically professors and researchers in the U.S to actually spend actually a month, I mean, really hard, it's actually hard work to review all of these proposals because Andrea is writing 50 to 100 page proposal. We, we get a group of, of experts who aren't in any way financially conflicted with this. That's a big part of our job is to make sure there's no financial conflicts. And then those volunteers read all of this material. So this is like, you know, it's a, it's a 2000 some pages of material that they have to read in two weeks. and um, these are highly respected and people and they, I think they would feel bad if they didn't write a good review and they try their best, you know, and given the fact that they have some, but they write reviews for every, well, there's two reviews written for every proposal in advance of our meeting, which we call a panel. So in, in astronomy, we, we have something like 700 proposals, 800 proposals in the general group of astronomy research. And we divide that up into uh, groups and Milky Way astronomy is about a fifth of that. We put, we then get, um, and of that we, we organize into 15 to 30 proposal panels, which uh, talk, talk about certain areas. So um, the galactic structure in the center of the galaxy is one really hot area that a lot of people, it's not just Andrea, but a lot of people are researching that area because it's very important. Um, and so these panelists then agonize over writing these reviews and then we have a two-day dedicated meeting um, where these, again, these are volunteers who are doing this, all this work, um, discuss each proposal we receive 
then um, we then uh, do a voting process that gives a numerical rank to each proposal. And after that, that's done, then we, um, we have an, one of the panelists who hasn't written for this on this topic will write a summary of what the panel said. And that is the third review. And those reviews are given verbatim to the investigators, which is Andrea as the investigator. Um, and uh, we then, I get the second day we agonize over the details of the top ranking because we're only going to be able to fund one out of five of these proposals. So it's critical for these proposals to be in the top top uh, 20%. And there's a lot of fighting, right? It turns out usually there are some proposals that rank so highly um, that there's not any debate. So those, but then in the gray area at the bottom of that, like the 19th percent proposal or whatever it is, uh, that's where the fighting is because you know one place is no is either all funding or no funding. We do an all or nothing um, concept really for the NSF because we trust the investigators to describe what they really need, and that's what we fund them for. And how does it factor in when you have a repeat applicant, someone like Andre who comes in and has received a number of grants before? Is her application reviewed solely for what it is, or is it considered part of a continuing research? Well, one of the, well, there's actually, there's two major things. There's intellectual merit and broader impact, which also is community. But it also, another aspect of the review process for the NSF is a judgment of their previous productivity. That's a part of the NSF review process. So we really, you know, the, the investigators write uh, annual reports and we sort of nudge them if there's not many publications. A judgment is not whether the process was successful, but whether they described it well. If there's any publication, well, this was a terrible idea and didn't work for these reasons, that's an excellent publication because then we've learned something and that's what the NSF wants. But no writing is, is frustrating to everybody involved and those investigators who don't write up the results typically don't get funded again. But if they're, they're productive and give interesting results, I mean, Andrea happened to be in an excellent position of having great results every year. So that would sort of always makes, I think it must make it easier to write the report. But uh, um, but it, even if it's it, null results are still acceptable. The, the, there was a project LIGO, which won the, the prize two years ago or some number of years ago. They had terrible results for a decade and they still were able to show progress. They wrote up their what they failed to do and what they needed to do. And, and it was in the end a tremendous success. But it, it, so failure is completely acceptable as long as we learn along the way. That's just a part of, that's the way the NSF review process works. So Glenn, stepping back and looking at this from a more macro level, speaking on behalf of the foundation, what do you credit uh, with NSF's success in maintaining such long-lasting relationships with such outstanding scientists? Well, we like them. I don't know. It's uh, they—they're very interesting. I mean, it, obviously, it's—you know—I've been at the NSF for for nine years, but my—it's my, my boss and the whole organization. You know, they—they they have to, to shepherd the different people working together, and it's a very collaborative work environment. We—we um, we are always trying to get a little bit bigger share of the money for astronomy than we let some other less important uh, field uh, have. But but we work together, and you know, it's all the way at the top. You know, the, all the way from the director through my, uh, uh, it's called the directorate, which is mathematical sciences again, and then my boss. Um, and he, they supervise the fairness process, but it's it's really the, the results, the, the publications and the results, the excitement of that, and, and also the outreach efforts that allow these to go forward. I mean, there are there are definitely projects which end because they're just not given funding if, if there's if it, that time is over for that research. Andrea, before we go to our break, what do you credit with the success of such long lasting relationships? I would say the NSF um, does two things simultaneously. One is it allows incredible freedom of ideas, but within a well-defined structure. As Glenn was just saying, there are three things all proposers know that you have to hit. 
your intellectual merit, the big so what scientifically. You have to clearly articulate that in a way that a broad group of scientists can um, understand. You have to hit the broader impact that your work has to have impact outside your little ecological niche and that you have to demonstrate progress in these two areas if you're resubmitting. And I would say um, from my perspective, um, NSF is the bigger, biggest investor of basic research um, done in astronomy with ground-based telescope. So if you're looking at who has the resources to support it, it's the NSF. And the NSF compared to other funders really enables that repeat um, uh, proposal to support long-term research. It's, it's really, it's enabled. We're going to stop here for our final break. When we return, we will talk about how NSF and Dr. Gez will carry the momentum of their successful partnership forward. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show where we will begin taking a look at the path forward for both researchers and NSF. When we left off, Andrea was talking about um, keeping your research relevant for areas outside your individual niche. Andrea, what sort of questions has your research created? And what are those questions that your team can answer and questions that can be addressed by others? The work has uh, created a host of new questions um, about supermassive black holes, um, about um, what can be learned with stellar orbits. I mean, I think that was the first one that prompted um, others outside our field, including people in particle physics, to think about what we were observing and what the future potential uh, for discovery was. And then one of my favorites, I mean, there've been a whole host of them, um, uh, is understanding how young stars form at this point. Our thinking was young stars don't, and yet they dominate the, um, the population that we see. So I call it, I love to call it the paradox of youth. How do you get young stars where they don't belong? And then other things, we see stars that are being um, ripped apart by the black hole. And that was completely unexpected and is actually forming ties between what we're doing at the center of the galaxy to what the gravitational wave community is seeing. And if you had asked me five years ago, is there any connection between my work and that, that community? I would have said no. And yet I think there's actually a very um, important um, connection. Um, so some of these questions drive our own future observations. And then there's a huge piece um, that drives theoretical work. Um, to explain these unexpected observations. And Glenn, from NSS perspective, these kinds of research questions that are relevant to both Andrea's own work and to other researchers, how do those impact, you know, applications for future funding? Well, the, the, we, we're, we look forward to each week to hear, I mean, each year to hearing uh, the, the new ideas we get. But we sort of are looking right now, we're in this, this era of what's called the astronomy and astrophysics decadal survey, where we sort of are, where we are asking the community to plan out our next 10 years of research priorities. And Andrea's made contributions to that that are no doubt going to be very important in that deliberation. Um, but the NSF will look at building new facilities that, that, that address that are priorities for this review. This, this review is funded by the National Science Foundation and the NASA and the Department of Energy, and they are all looking at the priorities of fundamental science uh, and cosmology and the sort of nature of the universe. Um, the, one of the things that came out of the last decadal survey, I think, uh, addresses one of the issues that Andrea has had with her project getting bigger and, and better, really, is that it has become more expensive, so it doesn't didn't fit into the the way the grants were being awarded in the past. But there's a mid-scale um, uh, research in initiatives program that it came out of the last survey, and maybe the we actually haven't got the decadal survey, so we're excited. It's supposed to be available this spring, so we will learn what the community's priorities are, and 
and the NSF will work with um, work with the community to implement them. And again, the NSF will not implement it just ourselves, but rather we will fund researchers to to carry out the priorities that the decadal survey uh, has planned. So Andrea, it sounds like you've already submitted comments. Do you care to share some of your thoughts? Sure. I guess my first thought would, would be about how the astronomy and astrophysics community views the decadal survey process. Uh, I think the analogy I would make, it's like having the Oscars every 10 years so that we all wait to see what's going to be top billing in each category because there are multiple categories. Uh, so it really is true that the whole community is on edge um, to hear what's going to be prioritized for, for investment. Um, it, it, it will really influence the, the future of our community. Um, for me, specifically thinking about the future of my work and the things that I think are important, um, as Glenn already alluded to, one of the, the challenges I face is, is keeping a, a, a program that has become much longer, larger and longer timescale. So how do I keep, um, how do I put together an infrastructure um, that sustains the data sets, the code, and the, and the collaboration, because there's a lot of tacit knowledge. Um, and that this is a collaboration that started at UCLA and now has grown to, to become an international co um, collaboration. So while I'd say we figured out how to grow, it's a, um, it's a little piecemeal. So it's hard to put a big vision and keep coherence over these um, individual grants that, keep, um, that are very specific, targeted, and are, you're falling off the edge every um, three years. So I'd say the infrastructure of this program is, is one of my largest um, challenges. And the fact that this program has also grown to become a key science case or um, in, uh, what, what one might call, uh, we're, we've become almost a, an unofficial spokes um, group for the future of technology and these large big um, telescopes. So um, the future of large ground-based telescopes and the technology and instrumentation that they re require. So there's, there's almost this uh, extra job or extra service. So when, the, so when the NSF asks about our broader impact, we often speak, and maybe this is part of what's helped us understand the importance of us growing in this direction to be responsible, to be the grown-up at the table now <laughs> that we've been around for, for a while. Um, there, there yeah. are particular aspects. I mean, Andrea, again, is, I would say, is unique a little bit in the community in that she not only started to do the impossible, but then made it possible, right, by, by developing the, the, this adaptive optics thing. So that, that's an, a, new, a unique feature, which does sort of make it a different kind of research thing than our normal grants are fairly closed end. They have a question and they have it, but it just, as the res results became more and more exciting, her project has grown and we understand that it's really difficult for students. I would say that that's, I mean, most of these awards are actually not to pay the investigators. I don't know if that's been made clear. It, it's actually a minor contribution to the investigators. It's the entire life of the students and the postdocs. So these are fairly selfless efforts that the investigators are working. The proposals are really not to support. I mean, there are to support the investigators some, but it's not by, by far the main aspect to it. It's really, Supporting new student, young students and postdocs is the main funding and, and equipment too. We we appreciate that that makes this three year timescale. I mean, we really have to have a, a student available that really is ready to start then and ready to end when the money runs out, which is tricky because you know, problems happen, and that's why projects continue. I would say it's also part of what makes doing research in the university environment so exciting is that both you move the frontier um, of knowledge forward by um, creating new ideas, but you're also training the next generation of scientists to do science. So you're creating new knowledge in, in, in that dimension, which is so important and so central to what the National Science Foundation prioritizes. So clearly this relationship has been very fruitful over the decades it's existed. Andrea, I'd like to know, how does the attention of receiving a Nobel Prize impact your work, research, and relationships in the scientific community moving forward? What, what does that do for you and, and what consequences might it have um, that aren't immediately evident? Having won the Nobel Prize definitely presents a lot of new opportunities um, as well as new responsibilities. Um, 
So it shines a wonderful light into the scientific questions that you're trying to ask. So you help people um, engage with the research and engage in it, it's important. Um, so that gives you um, more impact uh, in a sense, um, you be, um, but so simultaneously, it also, I think, um, gives you or asks of you to step up to the responsibility of being um, a leader in the field. Um, so I think there's two sides of this, both the new opportunities and the new responsibilities. And from my point of view, um, I think the opportunity is to step up to further leadership, um, to addressing, you know, how do we do science on this next generation of telescopes? It's not gonna be the same mode as our, um, our, our, um, the way we worked before because the partnerships are so complex. Um, so I'm excited about working on this primarily because that's one of the biggest obstacles uh, to answering the next generation of questions that I'm really interested to um, address at the center of the galaxy. And Glenn, how does uh, a success like Andrea's impact NSF's approach to her work? Does it treat her any differently? Uh, well, a little bit, I'm sure. I, I would be supposed to say it wasn't, but she was already a, a, an admired and distinguished. She gave a special lecture at the NSF because we are already, we, that was the first sign really of her getting the Nobel Prize was being invited to give a talk at the NSF actually. But uh, the, uh, the, so, but we'll, she'll still be reviewed. I mean, Nobel Prize winners proposals are rejected, I'm sorry to say, so that, um, but uh, we, we appreciate her, the work that she's done. We, I guess one thing I want to mention, I mean, again, it's, it's really many, many people were involved. I actually looked at there, there are seven different people made recommendations for funding to Andrea, and all of that was approved by, by their bosses, the division directors, and then indirectly also by the head of the NSF. But it's the community that decides, right? It really, the NSF actually allows the program officer to, to not fund the top rank proposal, but that is very rare. And it's really the ranking by the community and their effort, which allows us to be successful. So we're, I'm, I personally am proud of the community for actually making the right choice, right? Because it's their, they did the job of picking Andrea for funding and then, then it all was a snowballed into a great success for Andrea and, and directly for NSF. Yeah. You know, as we conclude our time here together, I'd like to ask you, Glenn, about any limitations on NSF and what it will fund. I know that the agency's mission is to promote the progress of science, to advance the national health, prosperity, and welfare, and secure the national defense, and for other purposes. Uh, I, I think the NSF is focused on, uh, really is focused on transformative. That's the, the NSF speak. It really, we have to, we wanna see failure because we wanna see complete changes too. So you're, you're, anything that you think is certainly 100% probably won't be funded at the NSF, but it's more about, um, it also, we don't develop uh, like commercial products. We just don't support that. If you wanted to build a better wristwatch, we wouldn't do that, but we may allow you to build the best adaptive optics or the best clock in the world or the best special purpose device. Um, I I think if we're, it just amazing. I, we, have, we haven't shown, of course, any of these incredible movies of stars flying around a black hole, but it's just incredible to think of in a human lifetime to see these stars fly around the black hole, which Andrea has made possible. It's just an amazing thing. So um, we think it's a great, it's been a great uh, program that's awarded uh, Andrea funding, and we're looking forward to continuing. Well, that's all the time we have for the show today. I've really enjoyed this time together. I hope the listening audience has too. And I'd like to thank you, Dr. Gez from UCLA, Dr. Langston from the National Science Foundation for joining us. Thank all of you for listening. And FedTalk is brought to you by the federal employment law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, everybody.